So, we are again continuing this week with our series, Revelation for Not Crazy People. And just as we heard, we are figuring out what incarnation to do with this thing that, like it or not, we have been dealt in our Bible. And so trying to figure out how do we wrestle with this? How do we see what we can get out of it that mine out of it that is positive without succumbing to some of the temptations that it presents or interpreters read into it. And uh, let me just repeat from the beginning of today's service, the character that we're looking at today as talked about in Revelation is called the Whore of Babylon. We cannot talk about prostitutes without talking about sex. All right. And I do want to give you guys a heads up as well that this territory does take us into talking a little bit about rape. So if you are um, uncomfortable at any point, feel free to, um, to step outside. That's just fine. <clears throat> um, so let's take a look at this passage we had read for us today. It is a brutal passage, gruesome actually, but it's also important The whore of Babylon, as a character, is tied for the most developed female character in a single book of the New Testament. She is a significant figure that we need to dive into if we're going to make sense of what John is trying to communicate in Revelation. So those of you who were here in Awake last week might uh, have recognized part of this passage. So part of it was an overlap with last week where we looked at the beast of this passage and how he stood in for the evils of Rome that John was railing against. But in this passage, there are two figures. And so sitting on top of that very beast is a prostitute. She's decked out in these lavish, expensive clothes and wearing tons of gold and jewels and pearls. And she has on her forehead written Babylon the Great mother of whores and of all that is evil. And this is the key. She's drunk on the wine of the blood uh, of the blood of the saints and the martyrs of of the blood of Christians. And then we're told uh, just after we we finish the whole description of the prostitute we finally have some action, gruesome action actually. We're told that She's just having sex with the kings left and right. And the same kings then who so eagerly joined her to have sex with her joined that very beast she was riding and turned on her. They start by stripping her naked. And then they brutally murder her before burning her body. Uh, It's not completely clear what's going on here. Some commentators in trying to figure it out think that there is a brutal gang rape happening. But even if not, it's clear what is happening is this sexualized destruction of this woman. And to John, it's for John, it's a poetic way for her to die, right? Of given her sins, naked and at the hands of violence. And once she's dead, the angels of heaven come down and lead everybody in a rousing chorus of celebration. They sing, fallen, fallen is Babylon, the great 
salvation and glory and power to our God, for his judgments are true and just. He has judged the great whore who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Hallelujah. The smoke goes up from her forever. Gruesome, no? So recap, we've got this story about this prostitute who represents Babylon. And she's been having sex with all the kings of the earth, but they turn on her and brutally murder her and burn her body, which is then interpreted as God's judgment on her. So you have a straightforward enough, though highly symbolic, allegory, right? It's that, and that's clearly what John wants to communicate. So Babylon, remember, Rome, is evil, and the entire world has become complicit in her evil and violence by being in relationship with her and wanting to be like her and, and as we'll see next week, doing business with her. And, but, John, but God will eventually judge Rome slash Babylon, and the whole thing will be defeated there will no longer be these exploitative reigns and, and the burnt smoke will rise forever and ever and so never again will we be tempted to forget and go back to Babylon slash Rome. That is what John is trying to communicate. And believe me, this is a powerful message. This is good stuff and has so much richness in the symbolism, right? So much insight about how Christians might think about their relationship to political states and systems of domination and exploitative economies. There's some good stuff here. However, once we start going at all beneath the surface, not like uh, layers to what John was meaning, but like uh, what John wasn't meaning, right? What, what he was n- never was trying to communicate, but got pulled into it from all of his, of his uh, thinking unconsciously, kind of based on his cultural biases and stuff. Once we get looking at that stuff, it gets real dicey real quick. So, for example, there's the violence against the woman. She's stripped naked and the very beast and kings that were previously her pimp and John's were brutally murdered her in a way that's not at all atypical for contemporary sex workers that they face. Or for example, take how John describes the prostitute. In in Greek, the the language it was originally written in, there's two different um, classes, if you will, of prostitute and the different words. And, and the one that John decides to use is that of a sex slave. So think, for example, if you will, of victims of sex trafficking. Or a, a, a one Korean scholar makes the comparison to Korean comfort women who when uh, J- Japan was the colonially occupying the country forced Korean women to be available for sex with the Japanese soldiers. It's it's this kind of position of being coerced into being used for sex. And then those confusing words that were written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, Mother of Whores, in this time, slaves were often tattooed on their forehead 
a kind of permanent sign of their being enslaved. And so this woman has tattooed right across her forehead, Babylon the great mother of whores. Now, does all of this change the mental picture you have at all of what's going on here? Right? Rather than some, just some wanton, depraved woman, we now have a picture more of a sex slave, a tattoo emblazoned right on her forehead, announcing to the world that she doesn't even have agency over her own body. But we're not done complexifying the image yet because it's not just as straightforward as she's a poor sex slave. She also boasts, I am a queen. I will never see grief. She's setting herself up as a ruler and and claiming that she will never be defeated or lose her power. Which, does that remind you of any empires you've heard of before? For example, maybe the sun will never set on the British Empire. It's this this thing that's inherent to empires, this arrogant, unrealistically grand claim about you being the best thing the world's ever seen. And so John is showing this paradoxical image of this tattooed sex slave on one hand, but on the other, the enthroned queen with power over the whole world. Now, don't get me wrong, like, none of this stuff is on John's radar. Like, none of it. Uh, it's, it's not like he's trying to present a multifaceted, nuanced picture of Rome slash Babylon, right? It's not at all. He, is, he has this piercing but crass and blunt image that he's trying to paint of Babylon slash Rome. Any sense of sympathy or, or that the sex slaves that were all around him were being victimized, none of that's on his radar, Right? He's all about this negative image depicting Babylon slash Rome as horrendously wicked and depraved prostitute. But this image still manages to wriggle out of his grasp and take on this additional complexity that he didn't intend, making this woman a more complex character that maybe has both elements that elicit both dislike, and sympathy. So there's a few things that are important here. So first of all, remember, this is an allegory or a vision, uh, not something that is happening uh, to an actual flesh and blood human being. And so since it's symbolic, it stands a little bit different um, from God, say, sanctioning this sexual violence toward an actual woman. occupies a bit different space. But, and this is a big but, in many ways that doesn't make it any better. Because what what is John trying to do? He's presenting this super strong invective against Rome. And so he reaches for the most shocking, the most powerful imagery that he can think of. And and to boot, John is an ascetic. He hates sex. He thinks it's an evil temptation. And so he uses this vile behavior to illustrate with as much rhetorical force as he can muster just how Rome as an empire must be destroyed. But in doing so, 
He completely minimizes the real lived experiences of gendered sexual violence that women have faced throughout all time, both then and now. Because he's saying, ooh, let's use this, you know, rape imagery because it's so powerful. Right? He doesn't care at all about the actual act of the rape or the sexual assault. He, he's not decrying that. He doesn't show any signs of caring about the victims of that. He just finds this action to be convenient for illustrating his real point, right? Not to mention that the social types that he draws on for his image are a class of slaves forced into sex slavery, having no agency about the fact in the first place to even choose whether or not to. But he doesn't care. It's all about the attack that he's making against Babylon slash Rome. So we can't lose track of the way that this imagery reinscribes violence, especially sexual violence, against women. But not ignoring that stuff, not ignoring that stuff. Can we also ask what is left in this passage for us to plumb? Because this passage also happens to be one of the most fascinating condemnations of the violence of empire throughout the entire ancient world. Rome, in this imagery, Rome slash Babylon is drunk on its violence. And John shows how everybody clamors over themselves to participate, to be subjects of the empire. And, and John rips into it in a way that there is no parallel in ancient literature. In the ancient world, there's no parallel to what he's doing here and the level of critique he brings on the empire. And so that's powerful and compelling, but alas, it definitely still highlights the way that the language we choose to use does matter. Yes, how it our language reflects our unconscious assumptions about the world and how our language can do harm whether or not we intend for it to. Because John wasn't taking aim at women who experience sexual violence. But in the process of tearing into the empire, he caused so much collateral damage. And then as we've seen in the news and in our world and in our individual lives, right? Christians have not been shy about twisting the Bible to rationalize their own sexual aggression, to excuse it, try to, at least. This passage in how it portrays this stereotype of this, this wicked, wanton temptress who is subdued through violence. This passage adds just one more brick to that edifice that they build up to try to excuse these unchristian behaviors, to rationalize them, to sanctify them. And that's just one tangible example of what this violence looks like. So, although it may seem simple, it can still be profound. May you give due attention to your words and how those very words affect 
those around you, even through the ripples of their unintended consequences. May it be so.